Welcome to the Soul Grit Podcast. I'm Ann Taylor McNeese, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I also love Jesus, and I'm passionate about all things gospel and therapy. I created Soul Grit to be at the intersection of mental health and Christian faith. Christ followers need a place to ask questions and get answers about mental health. Join me as we dive into real stories and real questions from people who want to honor God with their hearts, souls, and minds. All right, today we're back on the Soul Grit Podcast. I'm Anne, and I'm here with my friend, Rebecca. Rebecca and I have been friends for a long time. I know you're getting used to hearing about my Stanford friends here on the Soul Grit Podcast, but they have a lot of good things to say. So I want to introduce you. We were in a freshman dorm together and we became friends. This is this is funny. Are you ready to share this part, Rebecca? <laughs> we um, open books. We were each other's first white and or Korean friend. (laughs) So, so no, I mean, I had known Asian people, but you were the first Korean American person that I knew. Mm. We became friends really fast. And I remember in, during that year, you asked me one time what white people eat for dinner. And I tried to think of like the most white thing that I could think of. And I was like, uh, I don't know, pot roast. And you're like, what's a pot roast? And I said, well, it's a big piece of meat that you cook in a pot. (laughs) So so that's, that was the beginning of our friendship. (laughs) And, um, we reconnected after, after grad school and after years of living in different parts of the country. And, um, now for the past several years, you've been kind of like a, um, extra auntie to my kids and and we've been able to hang out and do some fun weekends together. And so I'm really glad that we've reconnected and I have a specific story that I want to ask you about today on the podcast, but would you just introduce yourself a little bit more and tell us what you do and who you are? And just to cap off Anne's story, one of the first times after we got back in touch, she invited me down to where she lives and I came over and I think I had brought some Korean treats for the kids, for all of us, but I think the kids were the ones that experienced a novelty factor the most. And then for dinner, we had the pot roast and it was delicious. The famous so, pot roast. Yes, like 20 years after we had first talked about it, we I finally uh, got to try it and pot roast and it was so good. So maybe as a bonus, one of these days you should post your recipe or post a photo, but it's so delicious, guys. I did not know pot roast was so yummy. So Okay, and and just disclaimer, that's not something that I make all the time, but I made it just for you. And then I discovered that there's actually Korean recipes that are really similar. And we made pot roast. To remember. Yeah, like the galpi chim. Did I say that right? Yes, you said it very well. Yeah, Yeah. that's basically like a pot roast with short ribs that has more of like Asian flavors. So I was going to say they're very similar preparations, except for uh, the cut of meat. We use short rib and then the, yeah, the, the sauce profile is a little bit different, but the mm-hmm. vibe is very similar. Mm-hmm. Comfort like food. Tacos. Yeah. And, and kaibuchi is one of my favorite foods and we both like cooking. So mm-hmm. that was, that was really fun when we were finally able to do that. You know, what's super interesting. I'm like a big food person. Like my clients in session know that if they get me talking about food or restaurants or something like the session is going to get derailed and uh-huh. that has not happened so far on the podcast. So congratulations. <laughs> you, you've broken the ice on the yes. food train here. <laughs> Send us your favorite recipes. We are big foodies. Okay. Yes. All right. So, um, Ask me to introduce myself. Yes. Well, hello everyone. Hello, uh, Soul Grit Podcast listeners all across the socials and ma- major platforms. And I really like <laughs> to say that it makes me smile every time. That's funny. I am I am one of you. I've become a Soul Grit Podcast fangirl through my preparation for uh, this episode because mm-hmm. I was listening to Anne's episodes and I was like, wow, you know what? There's so much good stuff happening there, here. And I, I think for me personally, some of the topics that we're about to share today are really uh, 
core things about my life. And I, it's interesting though, that I don't really typically share about some of this stuff, unless you're like very inner circle in my life. And so some people that I know pretty well might be very surprised to know that these are issues that I'm dealing with. But, and I think to be honest, part of me feels a little bit like, wow, I'm, I'm really, I'm potentially exposing myself to hundreds and thousands of people all over the world. Like anyone who wants to download this episode can do that. But I was personally like so moved and touched by the episodes that I've been able to listen to so far. And my hope is that whoever is listening to this, be it, I can, I can envision that there would be individual people who maybe have some of the same issues that I am having, uh, find the individual episode, or I was thinking, and it's a really wonderful resource that you're putting together for like pastors and, uh, mm-hmm. staff and small group leaders and anyone else or other counselors, like people who are Christian, not that are interested in helping better serve need in their community with respect to mental health. So I'm just like, wow, I, you know what? I thought I was, I can't wait to say this line uh, during the podcast. I was <laughs> really doing the Lord's work. Oh, <laughs> uh, I just want to, I mean, thank you for saying all of that. And that is my hope too, that, you know, this is kingdom work and this is my ministry right now, but I just want to see people healed and see people live in the calling that God has for them. But I also want to say thank you for being brave to share your story when you're not really sure you want to be that vulnerable, but you're stepping up because you know that like somebody might need to hear it and might need to get the kind of help that you've had over the over the years. So thank you. Thank you. It's my pleasure and my joy. And we're, I know we're going to get into it about all of the, all the various, the road that I've traveled over the years, but you'd ask me to introduce myself. (laughs) Go ahead. And I'm like your most verbose uh, guest so far. Uh, Something I'm very verbal. Yes. I am a lawyer and I, I think it's a good fit for me because yes, I love words. I love words of affirmation. I like to verbalize things. I think um, I really like to process through writing. So I'm, so I'm a word person and uh, let's see, I'm also Korean American. My family immigrated from Korea when I was still in preschool. And then I did all my K through 12 education in Southern California. And then Anne and I met in college. And then since college, I've been bopping around a bit over the country um, in connection with my career as a lawyer. And in the last few years, I've been back down in Southern California. And uh, one of the great things about that is that it allowed us to reconnect. So that's just a little bit about me. Good. Thanks Mm -hmm. for sharing that. Mm -hmm. So the reason that I wanted to have you on today is um, you've shared really openly with me about your your experience with depression and anxiety and your efforts to overcome those things. Mm-hmm. And, and your experience in treatment of depression and anxiety is different than uh, probably the majority. Like we've talked on the podcast about therapy and medication mm-hmm. and all of that, but you have another experience. So could you just tell us a little bit about what depression and anxiety has looked like over the course of your life and and recently? Sure. So yes, it's been a long road. Um, So when we were at Stanford, I think it is an amazing experience, a transformative experience. One of the things that it was for me was I remember thinking, oh, our classmates are so brilliant. They're so dynamic, but they're also so happy. Hmm. (laughs) And it was like, I am not happy. And it really was, I think, having that contrast of what I was feeling on the inside versus what I felt like I could observe from our peer. And it's like a perfect control group, right? There's like 1600 same age peers mm-hmm. and you, mm-hmm. right? And even like, you know, for example, like in our, you know, you and I are living in the same dorm. It's like a hundred kids like thrown together from all across the country. We're all high achieving, but other than that, we don't have that much in common, but most people were like very steady and happy. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like, wow, I don't feel that way. So maybe I'm, there's something going on here. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think um, 
something else that happened for me when I was at Stanford, and I think a lot of people go through this, I think at different times in their lives, was I think prior to that, I had really built up my identity in being an achiever and a performer and in being quote, quote, the smart one. Yep. And then when we were at Stanford, all of a sudden, everyone is the smart one. Everyone is an achiever. (laughs) You know, when you said that thing about on your, on one of your intro episodes that it really forced you to pull back on that identity. I mean, I think, yeah, you processed it probably in a different way than I processed it. Mm-hmm. I think for me, one of the things it did is it did trigger a sense of depression because I was like, yeah, who am I if I'm not the smartest person anymore? Yeah. Or maybe not the smartest, but I, I, you know, I don't think I, I think it was a shock to the system. What a big part of my identity that was Yeah. what it felt like to not have that anymore. And so Next thing I knew, I found myself at the student health center. I was doing a therapy at the student health center. I think I got through freshman year, just going to the student health center and doing uh, talk therapy there. Mm-hmm. And, but I came back for sophomore year and um, I had probably, I've had two, I think for the most part, I would describe myself as a high functioning person with depression and anxiety. And if I can talk a little bit more about my depression and anxiety, I feel like it manifests like this, like something interesting that I noticed that I think a lot of people do when they talk about their, uh, their depression is they make it situational. They contextualize it, they explain the circumstances, and then they say, um, and that's why I had, I was dealing with those issues at that time. Like you even did that on one of your Mm -hmm. episodes, you're talking about how one of the periods in your life where you experienced depression was when you were in Minnesota, but it was contextualized, like, you know, it's cold, it's new, you were newly married, didn't know anyone in Minnesota. And I think it makes sense that people would do that from an intellectual perspective. Like it helps you kind of feel like you, it's, you are kind of boundarying it a little bit. Well, because there's circumstantial factors and then there's biological factors, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into why do some people get depressed at certain times? Right, right. And I think, I guess, as it relates to my experience, the thing that I found interesting about that is I think that what your experience was in Minnesota is what is common for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Like there are situations or circumstances that will exacerbate um, depression or will trigger depression. And, and so you can, so, but, and so the circumstances are a big part or like, or maybe you're even depressed because of your circumstances. Right. Right. And I think in my case, I felt like it was almost the opposite. Like my circumstances when I were at times in my life have been great. And I'm fully aware that to third parties that they could look like that. Right. I mean, you know, when we were in college, we were young. Um, We were at an institution that is geared towards you investing in yourself and discovering yourself and and grow and growing and figuring out what you want to do with your life. And it's like a world-class institution Mm -hmm. surrounded by amazing people. Like, you know, some, I think for both of us, some of our best friends in life come from that Stanford period. Right. And I can say this about my law school experience as well. Like it was very similar. And those were two of my most depressed times in my life. Mm -hmm. So it's like, all my circumstances were great. And yet I was still so unhappy. And I think that was yet another thing that helped me realize, oh, whatever is going on with me, it's, it's real. Like I am in an environment where things should be great. And I don't, I feel like I have the weight of the world on my shoulders. Yeah. And I, you know, cause I knew I was going to um, be on this podcast with you and talk about my experience. I was like, how do I describe this? Right. And I feel like it's like, I'm a fish that's, I'm not a salmon. I'm like some other fish that's (laughs) not meant to swim upstream, right? Mm -hmm. But there's this massive current of depression energy, just like pushing me downstream. And I just want to stay even like just where I am, but it's so hard to stay there because of that really strong current. Yeah. So that's one way that I could describe it. Or another way would be just that I just... I think that there have been times where I just feel like I have the weight of the world on my shoulders and there's no good explanation for it. Yeah. When I finally clued into the fact that I might be depressed, it was when I was in college. And when I look back at the, at my childhood, I realized that I had probably always felt that way. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't remember a time when I didn't have that as part of my life. 
So I, one of the things that I was thinking about as I was thinking about mental health, as we, as I, as I anticipated being on your podcast, I was thinking, you know, I think um, people, there's that like folklore that Eskimos have a thousand words for snow. I don't know how true that is, but I think we don't, we in America don't have that as it relates to mental health. And I think that that is something that could really be developed, right? Because there's mental health, mental illness, and then there are a few illnesses that people are probably more familiar with, right? And I think depression happens to be one of those, but it's like, I feel like my depression is, is kind of akin to maybe like diabetes if we're talking about physical conditions, right? It's like something that is in my life that's it feels like it's always been there. I feel like it's probably always going to be there. At this point, I'm very like, how do I manage this thing that I probably am going to carry around with me, right? And, well, I feel- and you mentioned that, you know, there were a few different periods where the depression was stronger, like during college, during graduate school. Um, and, and I know there were some times where you were less depressed. And mm-hmm. then in, just in the last maybe two or three years, I know that you decided to get a little bit more serious about seeking out treatment that was going to work. Like you got back into therapy, right. you tried some different meds. Can you talk us through that, like that more recent part of your journey? Absolutely. So I think um, like a one or two sentence summary of my prior experiences was I was uh over the years going in and out of therapy, talk therapy. And um, typically what would happen is the therapist would suggest that antidepressants could be something that could help me. And they would refer me to a psychiatrist and I would get a prescription and I would try it and I wouldn't feel much of anything. Mm -hmm. And I think what I was hoping for was, you know, I think we all only have the experience of being inside our own bodies, but I, inside my own body, it just felt icky. Like I just felt so down and heavy. It was like a burden. It was, um, you know, like Paul in his letters, he describes it as, um, he describes that he has a thorn in his side. Yeah. And I know that there are competing schools of thought about, is that a physical condition? Is that some people think that it is a mental condition such as depression? But for me, my depression has been like a thorn in my side that I've just carried for as long as I can remember. And it's heavy, right? And so I, I think my hope with the talk therapy and with um, trying various antidepressants was that I would get to a place where I would feel less like that. Like that was my dream scenario was that I could find something that would be a little bit magic bullet-ish that would elevate my daily mood, I guess. I didn't feel so down and heavy anymore. But for me, for the most part, antidepressants had the effect of, I I wasn't sure if I was feeling anything at all of a Mm -hmm. difference. And um, maybe at best what it did, what, what they did was maybe help me have a little bit um, protection, downside protection, basically, mm-hmm. maybe not feel the lows as much, yeah. but I definitely did not feel side effects of being, um, less anxious, less depressed. Mm-hmm. There, there was no movement in my baseline. And yeah. so I, I did feel disappointed and frustrated. Um, but I, I just didn't know if there was more that I could do. Yeah. And let, let me interject for a second, because mm-hmm. I want, the listeners to understand that there are hundreds of medications that are available for depression and anxiety. And a lot of times it is a little bit of like an experiment that you do with your doctor. And so I, I can remember over the years, encouraging you, like try a different one, you know, because we always have that hope that if there is, of course, it's not a magic bullet, like you said, but if there is something that could help, like, like, let's find it, you know? And so I am always encouraging my clients that if they tried, like doctors are probably going to prescribe something like Zoloft or Prozac or, um, you know, the, so one of the more common selects, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the more common um, medications. And they're always going to start with those because those tend to have the best response on the highest number of people and with the fewest side effects. But that doesn't mean you are the, 
are like the general population, your system is your system and you might have to experiment a little bit until you find the one that works for you. And, mm-hmm. and the tough thing is you have to give it time in between each of those. Like it takes a month for it to really kick in. And, you know, that's a long time of waiting to get some relief. So I guess I just wanted to interject that because I do want people to have the courage to try medication because for the majority of people, it is going to help. And if you're not in that uh, class of people that it does help, then that's where, that's kind of where I want you to go next and what we're talking about. So, well, you know, I mean, just to be clear, I a million percent agree with everything that Anne just said and my, hopefully it comes across that the it's the the takeaway from my experience is not oh medications didn't work for her so I shouldn't try it I mean I think if anything my experience has been it can be a really effortful enterprise getting the mental hair uh, mental health care that you need um in this country I think the way that the healthcare system is not is set up it's not like you can just walk in somewhere and someone gives you this kit of tailor-made <laughs> treatments right I think as an adult, what I've noticed is I, I really have to advocate for myself, which I think actually probably comes naturally for me relative to most people. Cause I am in fact, a lawyer and advocate, mm-hmm. but it's not the healthcare system is not set up for it to be easy for most people to find the providers that they need to find. Yeah. And I think that it can be a really effortful process for a lot of people. And I think especially if you're having a really, if your mental health issues are strongly manifesting and it's, it's, you're in a situation where it's hard for you. I feel like that's a tough time to be having to go through these steps. Yeah. But I, I remember there was one time where I was like, I really need to find a therapist. I really need to talk to someone about what I'm experiencing right now, but I was going through like a really challenging time. And I remember thinking Mm -hmm. this is, it feels like a punishment to have to like go into my insurance company's website, like pull yeah. down the list of like 20 people that are, you know, the top 20 candidates in my area of mm-hmm. people that I might consider. You have to look them up. You have to call them out of maybe every 10, only two will return your call, mm-hmm. right? It, it felt like this really high effort process to find someone Mm-hmm. And I think that might be a pretty common experience for people yeah. who are looking to get the mental health care that they need. But I just want to really encourage whoever is listening to this and thinking, oh, I've been putting that off for so long. It really is very worth it to mm-hmm. invest in, in that situation and, and set yourself up for success in terms of how you manage Mm-hmm. Uh, your healthcare, and so even when you're like maybe functioning a little bit higher you're not absolutely. at the at the depths like absolutely. to use that energy that you have in that moment to kind of track somebody down and and go to a couple of appointments just because you know that you might have a tendency towards depression or anxiety mm-hmm. and in that moment you're not going to be able to do the legwork and so mm-hmm. it's not like I I joke with my clients that you have me on retainer except you don't really have to pay me anything you just you just get to come back whenever you want to come back because once you form that relationship with a therapist then they know your story and they know what works for you and so it's a lot easier to go back when you're in a state of deep depression to somebody who already gets you than to start with somebody new and tracking them down. Totally. I think we live in a part of the country that is a large metropolitan area. It's a free market for mental health services for ther- for therapists and a lot of good therapists, it's difficult to get on their calendars. I remember mm-hmm. I was super depressed and people didn't have appointments for like six weeks yeah, or more or more. And I remember, I remember thinking this is a really badly designed system for people (laughs) that need help. But I think, and I think for a lot of people, they may not have the foresight to realize, oh, I should set myself up for success. I should plug in with the therapist. And then when I really need them, that will be ready to go. But I think if you're listening to this and that's something that you can do, that is potentially a really amazing gift that you could give to your future self. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Okay. So tell us more, you know, what I'm leading up to. <laughs> you tried yes. um, therapy and, and you continue to work with a therapist. You tried medication, didn't have very much result from that. And so I think it was it your doctor or your therapist that recommended that you try TMS. It was my doctor. So, um, I got connected through my therapist to a really great psychiatrist who I think part of my issue had been that I'd been, I'd been moving around so much and, um, kind of like Anne said, you start going down the list of the different things that you could try. Um, but my care hadn't really been supervised by any one person over the years. Um, but, and I think there is a huge variety in provider quality and also in, in how well you work together. Mm-hmm. And so it really can be, um, it, uh, feel a little bit like, a, I don't know, kind of like dating in a way, right? Dating yeah. or, or um, maybe job interviews to find that right person in that right relationship. But I happened to get plugged, connected to a really great uh, psychiatrist and he listened to me share about my experiences and he said that he thought that I might have um, depression and anxiety that were not responsive to medication and that therefore it might be um, a good idea to start exploring alternative therapies. Mm-hmm. So, and so clinically, those are called treatment resistant disorders. So that's when you've tried all the other treatments and nothing's working. We call that treatment resistant. Mm-hmm. So alternative therapies would include transcranial magnetic stimulation. That's a mouthful, right? But we refer to it as TMS. So um, tell me what you thought when he first recommended TMS to you. You know what actually was the, my first thought was like, how do I not already know about this? I did not know that it existed, right? And the interesting thing about that is as Anne and I have alluded to, I am a preparer. (laughs) I love information. I I think like intellectually, I have this thing where I like to master a subject. The more information I feel like I have, the the more I feel like I can get to a better place about it, I guess. Mm -hmm. I have known for quite a while that I I have this depression in my life and it's kind of one of my life assignments is to manage it. And yet I had literally never heard about this ever before. Mm -hmm the doctor suggested it. And I was just shocked. I was like, so it's not an experimental treatment. It's something that's been around for a while. It's FDA approved. It's your insurance company covers, um, covers it. If you get authorization, I was like, I can't believe that I've never heard of this in my life. Um, I think I was very open to it just because of everything that I have already shared about my experience with antidepressant medication, Mm -hmm. just that I had tried a lot, actually, yeah, like a bunch of different, uh, different prescriptions and nothing had really moved the needle for me. So I was very open to doing this, even though number one, it is a commitment, Mm -hmm. both of time and, uh, other resources, money. Right. Yeah. So, um, what TMS is, is you drive to a clinic, they have a special like chair, like it looks like a dentist chair, Mm -hmm. but there's this like they put this like what feels like a Lego hat, like on your head. <laughs> Lego hat. Yeah, no, it's like you look like a little Lego because they put this like plastic cap thing on your head. Mm-hmm. And then whatever the frequencies are that are in that little Lego cap hat thing, it, you do the Lego hat treatment <laughs> every day for like 36, mine was 36. I think usually it's like 30 to 40 treatments. Mm-hmm. And that's a cycle. Mm-hmm. I had erroneously thought prior to my first course of treatment that you just do one in your lifetime and you're done. Mm-hmm. No, my friend, you might have to do it once a year, twice a year. My provider said that insurance companies typically, once you're authorized, authorize at least two cycles a year wow. as the like default. I think for me, the effects, the strong effects of it have lasted maybe about three or four months. And I already am starting to feel like maybe there's a taper. So I can see myself being someone that, that if I, if I continue to do this, we'll need to do it maybe twice a year. Yeah. Right. 
So it's not a magic bullet, but I did feel that it really helped me in a way that prescriptions did not. I think Mm -hmm. I, I did, I remember not really knowing if it was helping me. And then one day after the course was over and I was just like going about my business, I I remember actively thinking, Hey, I think I just feel kind of a little bit lighter Mm. and I just feel good and I can't explain it. Yeah. And then that happened maybe a few more times. And I was like, oh my gosh, it work. Work? <laughs> and I was like so excited because it just felt amazing because I have, you know, I've been carrying around this depression my entire life. Nothing has, has worked. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that this Lego, ha- Lego head treatment <laughs> could work was like, it felt really magical. Yeah. Right. And, and so and I mean, I, I gave all that context about how, about how it's not magical just to contextualize, right. I know it's not magical. Mm-hmm. It is actually quite effortful to like find a provider to, you know, I had to drive there every day from, I, I picked a, a clinic that was maybe a 25 minute drive from my house and you have to go every day. Mm-hmm. Right. So while I was doing it, it definitely felt like, oh, I'm like actively committed to doing this. And actually I, I remember thinking, wow, this is a lot of investment for something that may or may not work. Yeah. I really hope it works. Yeah. Right. So it is, you know, you're committing to investing in your mental health by doing this. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. let's go a little bit more into the mechanics because I don't want people to think it's an actual Lego hat. <laughs> um, so when you do TMS, like you described, there's a, a chair that resembles like a dentist chair. And then there's the kind of this part that goes over your head. And there's, there's a, I don't want to say like kind of like a skull cap that is like designed exactly mm-hmm. for you. Like yeah. Like a swimming, a swimming. Yeah. Mat. Yeah. Exactly for your brain and your head shape and everything. And, and they have technicians that form this thing that's just for you because they want the machine to do electromagnetic pulses targeted to a specific region of your brain. So it's mostly working in the frontal region, but depending on exactly how they program it, it's going to hit a part of your brain that's going to stimulate the neurons to interact in a way that's different from what the depressed brain does. So they're going to be transmitting that um, serotonin and dopamine in a better way. What's really interesting about this is that it's not, it's not invasive and it's not scary. Like what you used to see in the movies with like electroshock therapy, like it's not that you're not getting electrocuted and it has virtually no side effects. Like some people say that there might be like a little bit of facial twitching after a treatment or in very rare cases, there might be seizures. So if you're somebody that has epilepsy or another seizure disorder, it might be not warranted for you. But for most people, there's no side effects. Whereas with antidepressants, there usually are. There's a lot of advantages. And like we said, it's FDA approved for major depressive disorder. They're also working on approval, I believe, for anxiety disorders and PTSD. It's kind of like miraculous, the things that it can do. But the major downside, like you said, is that you have to go for like a half hour every day, five days a week, for four to six weeks. So like you said, 30 to 40 treatments. And right. for most people, if even if you do get your insurance to cover that, you're taking time off work to drive there. And if you don't live in a major metropolitan area, you might be driving a little further to get there. And then you're doing that every day for a month and a half. And that is um, some major commitment there. And so I guess you just have to balance it with if your depression is severe enough that you're not able to function appropriately at work, school, home, whatever environment that you you need to function better in, then it's definitely worth taking that time out of your day for that month and a half to complete the treatment. And then I think I read statistics that said at least half of people have improvement for depression and even a third of people have complete um, healing from depression for their lifetime. So I know you mentioned that you would probably go back again, Mm -hmm. but some people actually do get a reversal of their depression symptoms. 
Yeah, no, it's, it's so interesting. Yeah. yeah like I'm, I'm a fan of science. Uh, <laughs> but it's so cool that we have this tool to help people, but it's, and I think what's unfortunate is that it's so under the radar still. Yeah. Um, and so hopefully, yeah, through us sharing about this, it can maybe encourage people who feel like, like me, they have depression that is somewhat entrenched and that is difficult to uh, treat or to move the needle on that this is something that could potentially help you. Yeah. You had the advantage of having kind of like a flexible work schedule. Mm-hmm. I think you were doing this during COVID, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that's another complication, but, but you were able to take that time off and complete these treatments. So that was a huge blessing. Absolutely. And I mean, um, oh, the reason why I chose that particular clinic, I will say, so there are two types of TMS. There's deep TMS and then standard TMS. I picked deep TMS because it's the same program, but in a condensed amount of time. Yeah. So like instead of 40 or 45 minutes, they shorten the treatment down each session down to 20 minutes. Yeah. So it's a reduction by about half of the length of time that you spend at the clinic. And that's really helpful when you go every day. (laughs) And so that was something that I was optimizing for. Right. But on the other hand, I had to drive further out to to go there. Right. So it's a balancing. I think there were places closer to where I lived that where the the commute could have been shorter, but the treatment itself would have been longer. So it was kind of a trade-off Yeah. the finance side. So, and also the approval process. I live in Los Angeles, actually the biggest um, provider of TMS services in Los Angeles is UCLA. Oh. And so that was where I, I went through the insurance approval process first was through UCLA, but, and so I was approved and I was going to start. And then they told me my payment portion was going to be like almost hundred dollars a session wow. and doing it for 40 sessions, I think is what they earmark you for generally. Mm-hmm. Generally, I was like, wow, that's $4,000 that I didn't know that I was going to have to spend on this. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And actually the backstory is I had learned about TMS maybe June, like halfway through the year last year, actually, maybe even before that I looked, I'd looked into it and I'd realized, oh, like this could be a cost prohibitive thing. Yeah. Let me, I actually went and even like switched my insurance plan at work to get on a plan that I thought would be a better fit for getting TMS that would help bring down the cost. And so to be told that, oh, it's going to be a hundred dollars a session, I had an earmark that it was going to be that much. Yeah. Right? And so I was like, oh my gosh. So I need to maybe look for another provider. Right. And it just so happened that another provider that I contacted, they had a different uh, payment schedule for TMS such that it brought down the, my copay significantly. Mm. And so again, we are in kind of a market system. You yeah. know, another time that I experienced this was, this was actually when I was looking for a Christian counselor. Mm-hmm. So I have great health benefits, great insurance. I I remember downloading the list of like 15 people that self-identified as Christian therapists Mm -hmm. um, in my area. I called a bunch of them up and then I got connected to a therapist that I thought was going to be great, right? She had the same license that Anne has, which is an MFT. Mm -hmm. But I remember being so disappointed because we met, we worked together for maybe about four to six months. And I was really looking for someone who I think does the same kind of work that you do, Anne, mm-hmm. which is you're exploring mental health and wellness issues from partly a spiritual, a Christian faith-driven perspective. Yeah. But I think that what was happening with this particular provider was that she was, she was a licensed MFT, but I'm assuming that maybe she didn't go to seminary mm-hmm. to get her license because the whole time that she worked together, that we worked together, I think maybe she said, Amen like once. And then she she referenced God like once or twice during that whole four to six months. And I remember feeling so frustrated. Like you're basically providing me with secular care. Like, why did you self-identify as a Christian counselor? And I'm assuming she is a Christian, but maybe she doesn't have the training that you do or the comfort level that you do of really integrating faith into her practice. And so I remember in that experience feeling like, wow, like I really tried hard to find someone that was what I, you know, the right background, the right fit skill set for me. And it really didn't go that great. Right. And I think a aspect of the free market healthcare system in our region is that 
I think good therapists, good providers are in high demand. Mm-hmm. Basically what I've experienced in Southern California, I feel like people who are really good don't necessarily need to accept insurance. Right. With the exception of myself, right? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Just kidding. <laughs> no, seriously, whoever I, I have had this thought before. I think I verbalized it to you. I, part of me wishes that I could go to you, but I, I can't because we're friends. And so that yeah. would be a conflict, but I'm like, it's such a blessing to your clients that you are an amazing provider who takes insurance. Right. And I know that you consider that part of your calling and part of your, your, your ministry. Right. But there are so many really good providers who just on an economic basis, like they don't have to take insurance because they can fill their calendar with clients that are willing to pay out of pocket multiple hundreds of dollars a session. Yeah. Well, and there's, there's so many dynamics here, like in our region, probably the, the top uh, insurance carriers that different employees around our region have are like Anthem Blue Cross or Blue Shield, which carves out um, behavioral health to Magellan. And these are some of the worst, sorry that I have to say this, but these are the worst as a provider to work with. So more and more providers are leaving the panel because they're not well compensated. They're micromanaged, like all these things that are, make them difficult to work with. So what happens is we have more and more um, clients or patients that have these insurance companies providing their benefits and fewer and fewer providers that want to stay with those panels. And so it becomes impossible to find somebody. Yeah. You know, I work for an employer that is very well known as offering great benefits, including great health insurance. Mm-hmm. But actually my insurance provider is one of the ones that you just mentioned. Yep. And, and mine I, is too. <laughs> yeah. And I, I experience what you are saying mm-hmm. when I am looking for a provider, it is slim pickings because I could tell people that are well-qualified do not want to do not necessarily want to work with these insurance companies. Mm-hmm. So I am trying to do the work of, okay, but there are still some people that like you have feel that it's their calling to work with people um, from a diversity of backgrounds. And so they are still taking insurance. And I'm like, I have to find that, that good provider. That's a good fit for me. That is still on the insurance panel. And it's yeah. challenging. It's a yeah. lift. And that I think, again, is like a really unfortunate aspect of the free market healthcare system that we're in. You have to put in so much legwork yeah. to find. And I, I am someone that does the work, right? Mm-hmm. I'm very empowered. And even so it has been a real uphill battle to find people. And so, again, I think I just want to encourage people who are listening, like it is, it's not, it's not you. You're not crazy. It is such a lift to get plugged in with providers that Mm -hmm. are a good fit and that are um, good practitioners, Yeah, that it is such a worthwhile investment to get that set up for yourself such that you have that treatment team in place for when, when the road gets rocky. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So true. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you, mm-hmm. you know, this has been, you know, the struggle of your life, as you said, the thorn in your side, like, how do you see at this point in your life? How's God working through this? Is he showing up for you? That is a great question. And I have asked myself this as well. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think when I think about one of the reasons why I don't talk that much about my depression and anxiety part of it is because I again I mentioned that I like to understand systems completely Mm -hmm. I like to understand the whys and I like to have to extract all the lessons and whatnot right Mm -hmm. and I think there have been times where I have felt like what's up with this right like what is God trying to teach me through my depression and anxiety And I mean, I think one core thing for me is it really is a way that God can reach me, Mm. that there's not a lot of other stuff where I feel like I even, I think this is a quirk for me, but I think maybe a lot of people could relate to this is Mm -hmm. I don't, sometimes I feel like I don't even really need God's grace in a lot of the other areas of my life. Right. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. I've been really great at school. Like, you know, like I, I remember going on a date with a guy and he was really shocked because I said, I have only really been turned down for a job once. Yeah. Right. Like I'm good at 
achieving things. Mm -hmm. I can, I'm good at taking care of myself. I'm very blessed relationally. Like I have great, a great support system. So there are not that many ways that I feel like I need God. Mm-hmm. But for me, this is absolutely one of them yeah. because I think my depression is one of those things where I frequently am reaching my human limitations and I have to call out for God's grace and mercy and, and movement in my life. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is probably good for me, right? Like it keeps me humble. It keeps me connected to who we are, our true identities. We are people who are here on this earth temporarily and we need God. And I definitely experienced that through my depression. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And I, I do have that hope too, that if there's somebody out there that just feels like I've tried everything and it's not working, that they're going to have hope that there is something that God does want their healing ultimately. And like, maybe he's using it like in your story to draw that person close to him and to keep them dependent on him, but also that he, he wants to do something miraculous in their lives. So before we wrap up, I know you've listened to a lot of episodes, so you know this question is coming, but <laughs> I always ask at the end, what are you doing for soul care? I think for the most part, talk therapy has been helpful, but maybe not transformative. But one line that one of my therapists once said to me that I'll never forget is I remember I was sharing with her that I really desperately wanted to feel better, to feel happier. But I, even if I felt happy, it was like ephemeral and fleeting. And I just... I was really discouraged by that. Mm -hmm. And then she said, well, you have to start somewhere. And if you're happy now, then you're happy now. And I, that was her way of encouraging me to even chase small happinesses. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's true. That's very important. Right. Like, I think a lot of the work that we do on ourselves that can help move the needle on bigger change, it can take a long time. But on the other hand, there are things that are more uh, quick gratification, right? Yeah. Like listening to music that, that you find uplifting mm-hmm. or, um, I don't know if you love smoothies, get that smoothie, right? <laughs> like yeah. talking about then, right. If you're happy now, you're happy now. Right. Yeah. And then, um, for me, I think another thing has been journaling. And I think oh. this could be particular to me again, because I'm a very verbal person, but I love to analyze and process. And I love to feel like I'm understanding myself and other people and life better. Mm -hmm. And I find that when I start writing it out, that really helps me because I typically will start asking myself questions that I don't otherwise ask myself when I'm putting pen to paper or in my case, my words onto, into a word document. Right. And so that has really helped me. And then I think another thing is, um, and it goes again to your work doing with this platform with silver resources is is just connecting with people, right? And I I think I am very hesitant at times to speak to my depression and anxiety because I do feel like it's a huge vulnerable thing that I have that sometimes I feel like if I share it with people, like it could maybe bring them down a little bit. There is power and the the possibility for really deep connection Mm -hmm. in sharing our struggles and our weaknesses and the things that we feel like are massive challenges, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, like, for example, and I have another mutual friend who also has a mood disorder. And I remember sharing my issues with her. Number one, she said, I wouldn't have expected you to be dealing with these issues. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true. I think a lot of people think that I'm this high functioning person that doesn't have a care in the world. And I think it's partly because I don't talk about it. Right. I think that's true for a lot of people. Right. So I shared with her that I'm very do all the things, try all the things. Right. So on a parallel course with seeking out different care providers over the years, I also will reflect and kind of experiment on myself. Right. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll try this thing. Maybe I'll try that thing. And some of these things don't work and some of them do work. Right. And so one of the things that I really dislike about my, my depression. And that I really have worked on a lot is, um, one of the ways that it manifests is I feel like I have this 
negative, strong negative feedback loop mm-hmm. in my brain, right? Like that current that I was describing earlier, a lot of it is like negative thought streams, right? Yeah. And so in the years and decades that I've known that I have this issue, I have tried lots of different things to try to course correct that a little bit, to affirm myself, to affirm um, um, the goodness of God, the goodness of our lived experience, just to have a more positive mindset. And um, I have found over time that very, 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 very slowly, but surely my needle has shifted Mm. because of all of the work that I've done in this silo, right? Yeah. Yeah. And our friend was telling me that hasn't happened for me. Like I haven't been able to do that for myself. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually amazed that you have been able to do that. And I reflected on it and I was like, you know what? Yeah. Part of it is me making an effort, but I also had to have God's grace that this was something that was possible for me. Right. That through my efforts that I was able to get a place where it's not perfect. And I think I still have, um, room for improvement in this area, but I definitely have much more of a positive outlook, mm-hmm. a more measured outlook, a less all or nothing, less black and white way of thinking that, yeah, part of it was CBT. I've seen CBT therapists before. And for me, that was revolutionary, but part of it was also me engaging with my experience. And, but you had asked what things I'm doing. And I think that there's so much power in us sharing our stories with the people in our lives, whether it's close friends or maybe people that, you know, just are in your path for a very short period of time. I think there's a lot of power in being open and honest about our struggles. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that can really be very soul ministering for both parties. I feel like that's a perfect spot to wrap up. Mm-hmm. Um, you have blessed us by sharing your story today. So thank you again for being here and for being brave and vulnerable. And I know it took some preparation and, and some, <laughs> some stoking of the fires to get you ready for this. So thank you for doing that and for being a good friend over all these years. And um, even as a friend, like, thank you for doing the work that you need to do to make yourself well, because the more that we do for ourselves and integrating ourselves as a whole healthy people, the more the people around us are blessed. So thank you for doing that and being my friend and for coming on my podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Right back at you. Um, I'm really honored uh, to have had this opportunity and it's my prayer and hope that hopefully we can help people through this episode. Thank you. The Soul Grit Podcast is a production of Soul Grit Resources. You can find more at soulgritresources.com or on the socials at Soul Grit Resources. You can email me at info at soulgritresources.com.